On this week's episode, Lee Griffin starts to speak Scott's language. I was just going to say, if you think about it, you know, you think about all the things that we don't like about flying. Scott Boris sells an airplane part, which is, uh, which is a very, very good thing. We seem to be having technical luck. Is it? Did you just? Is that? Did you just sell an airplane part, Scott? Uh, yeah. I'll turn my phone on silent. And I take care of medical issues the old-fashioned way. <coughs> you all right there? COVID. Nope. <coughs> He's coughing as he drinks some beer. Yeah. <coughs> did, did you ever fully recover from your COVID? Welcome to this week's episode of the program. Uh, we are The band is back together. Uh, all three of us here this week, which is uh, which is a very very good thing. We seem to be having technical luck. Is it? Did you just? Is that? Did you just sell an airplane part, Scott? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll turn my phone on silent. Was it, that was the, that the was cash the register. That was the eBay cash was register it? sound. Yeah. You just sold an airplane, Mr. Moore. Sold an airplane part live. Well, it's not live because my did. computer can't handle sending us live yet. I sold. Three inspection plates. Oh boy! Maybe so the listener, not, uh, not a lot of money, it, but nope. not big money. Uh, but okay. Never. Complex airplanes. What we are uh, covering today. And uh, Lee's wondering which way I'm going to go with this. This is sixty-one point thirty-one part echo. Additional training required for operating complex airplanes. Uh, except as provided in paragraph E2 of this section, no person may act as pilot in command of a complex airplane unless the person has I received and logged ground and flight training from an authorized instructor in a complex airplane, or, which I didn't know this until five minutes before we recorded and I read this for the first time in 10 years, or in a full flight simulator or flight training device that is representative of a complex airplane and has been found proficient in the operation and systems of the airplane and, uh, I, I, is that how you say that Roman, little mini I Roman numeral? Yeah, two? sure. Yeah. Received a one-time <laughs> endorsement in the pilot's logbook from an authorized instructor who certifies the person is proficient to operate a complex airplane. What is a complex airplane? Some people might be wondering right now. It sounds all of very them. confusing, That's doesn't it? I wonder. It's all of all them. of them. They're all very complex. Oh, complex machines. But the FAA uh-huh. has a definition. Luckily, we have wow. a definition. And if you are looking for said definition, as we were prior to recording this, uh, the definition of complex airplane is not at the beginning of the FAR aim in 1.1. It is in 61.1, uh, which is another whole slew of definitions. So keep that in mind if you're ever trying to look up the definition of something in the far aim and you go to the front of the book and you're like, it's not there. This is ridiculous. There are definition sections scattered throughout uh, for the different sections. So this is actually in 61.1. Just a quick tip. If you're ever in a check ride or... Um, I don't think this comes up a lot in check rides. It's more of like you're just nerding out with other pilots and you get into an argument. It's about to go into a fist fight. You want to settle it before it gets violent by looking it up in the book when you try to track this down. That ever happened to anybody? No? Okay. Maybe or you let just... the other two guys fight and then you just let them maybe, duke it out and then you bring this to the table later. Maybe that's just Northern Ohio pilots we hang out with. Um, complex airplane means an airplane that has a retractable landing gear, flaps, and a controllable pitch propeller, including airplanes equipped with an engine control system consisting of a digital computer and associated accessories for controlling the engine and propeller, such as a full authority digital engine control or in the case of a seaplane flaps and a controllable pitch propeller, including seaplanes equipped with an engine control system consisting of a digital computer and associated accessories for controlling the engine and propeller, such as a full authority digital uh, engine control. Okay, the retractable landing gear, flaps, controllable pitch propeller. Are there any? Prop. Are there any that have that but don't have flaps? I can't think of anything that would have retractable gear, uh, constant speed propeller, 
but not have flaps? I can't think of any. The only thing close, the only thing I can think of that even has a um, retractable gear and no flaps is a Culver Cadet, which is kind of a cool little airplane, but that's the only thing I can think of. This is just, that is the most random thing to have in your head. Yeah, I've never. They're, they're cool. That's what I mean. I think they're, they're like a Swift. They're like a Swift. It's a tailwheel retractable gear airplane, low wing. I think they have a 65 horse Continental like a Cub. Okay. But they're I, retractable gear and stuff. I mean, they're from the 40s. They're just a neat little airplane. I've always liked them. Huh. I never even heard of it. No, me neither. Fascinating, because like like Scott said, I'm thinking. I mean, if you have flaps, if if, if there's no the only planes I can think of that don't have flaps don't have right. retractable landing gear or a constant speed prop, for the most part. Right. But uh, when did they add all this digital engine stuff? That wasn't in there when we originally learned all this. You got to think, you know. So they're trying to build this around, you know, maybe flight schools and stuff like that, giving out these these endorsements and whatever. And FADEC kind of came on the scene with um, FADEC is the full authority digital engine control that, that they're listing here. We just call it FADEC. That kind of came on the scene like, I don't know, probably 2008, 9, 10. Maybe like the, the diamonds, you know, they started having with with their diesels and the twin star. They made those Fadec. Um, it, they put diesels in the Twin Star. They did originally, and then they moved over to. I think they went through two, two different iterations of the uh, of different diesels, and I think I don't know what they're doing right now, but they at some point probably still are using the Lycoming IO three sixties. Yeah, it's a proven power plant. I mean, I'm I'm all behind the diesel, but you know, it's it's in its infancy. Yeah. It's a better application in airplanes. But it's yeah. in its infancy for sure, as far as an uh, aeronautical application, and you know, it's startup companies. Yeah, they have a long, you know, history, and you know, maybe other um, platforms, but airplanes is new for them. Um, that's where the FADEC came in. So that was probably in the mid two thousand, mid late two thousands, almost two thousand ten. So that was after you know we'd done most of our stuff. Yeah. So they don't for the do they cha- for the commercial pilot's license you no longer have to do that it could be a you no longer have to have the x amount of times in a complex airplane you can do it in a technically advanced aircraft is that is that what they're calling it was that the lingo I remember Brendan Saunders used when he was on the show I think that is the lingo okay so this isn't this engine control stuff, this isn't a technically advanced aircraft, is it? I think that's almost exactly what they're describing. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. But th- that's not a complex endorsement, just if it's like if it's got um, this advanced engine stuff, but without, say, without a constant or without retractable landing gear. That's a big one, which I know they moved away for the commercial pilot's license. Uh, that requirement is because it was becoming more and more challenging for flight schools to procure a training style airplane that was reasonable to to operate and cost effective for students to like train in for their commercial. Um, Cause they just, there's really no new planes on the market. They're just basically buying old arrows and old, um, 172 RGs was the dominating aircraft for flight schools to get a complex endorsement and do the complex portion of the of the commercial, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's almost, if you think about it, like Aero 172 RG, they're kind of underperforming for kind of what they are. You know, you typically think, you know, it has retractable gear and decent horsepower is going to go pretty fast. Well, Aero's and 172 RGs are not that fast. You know, for, you know, when you typically think of, you know, all the complexity behind them. And it seems to me that they're pretty much solely almost made for flight schools to check the boxes. That's how I look at it. Yeah, you get a little bit of speed out of them, a little bit of performance out of them, but it's not a Bonanza. You know, it's not a Saratoga, you know. 
it's not worth all that extra complexity of having a retractable landing gear. Yeah, no. it's just yeah, checking the boxes because you know, like an arrow. And I don't even know if they still make an arrow, but last I knew, they only did like 139 knots. Well, that's not. That's, <laughs> yeah. Archer does 130. What's a, a fixed gear 172 cruise at versus a retractable 172? I don't know. Like if you're can't be that Cessna's much different right now. Yeah. What if you go to a Cessna's website right now? They probably say a 172 does 130 knots, and a 172 RG does 140. Yeah. So it's not really. It's not worth all the extra complexity unless you're just using it for getting a rating. That's exactly. That would be my 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 thinking. Yeah. Like that gear firmly planted. Oh, totally. I mean, the weight reduction, the complexity. Yeah, fixed gears. Fixed gears is the way to go. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And then you can't forget to put it down. It's always down. Well, yeah, you got to be disciplined. Got to be disciplined. That's why I'm, That's why I like my, my checklist being short and sweet. That's why I like checklist reform. Make it. Make the checklist something that you're going to do. Don't make each before landing is 15 items the hell with that make it three items that actually matter yep two types of pilots those who've forgotten the gear down those who will i've heard that unless you never and there's a really realistically a third type of pilot the type of pilot who's just knows you just never fly an airplane that has a yeah why would you yeah that's that should be a a good rule for any pilot it's just if it has retractable gear like why are you even bothering with it don't fly that okay so let's continue on with the the actual section get through that and then we'll talk about those three components um Two, the training and endorsement required by paragraph E1 of this section is not required if the person has logged flight time as a pilot in command of a complex airplane or in a full-flight site simulator or a train device is representative of complex airplane, blah, 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 before uh, prior to August 4th, 1997. So if you're already doing it before 1997, you were exempted because they made this rule and there's a bunch of pilots who are probably be like, uh, I've been flying this stuff forever. Now I got to go get an endorsement from some smooth talking CFI that wants me to give him what was, what was flight instruction back in 1997. <laughs> yeah. Cheap, who knows? Cheaper than it is now. Yeah. Uh, and then da, 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 the person has received ground and flight training under approved training program. It's the 135 operation stuff, which I guess if you just went through training, never getting a complex endorsement and then somehow ended up in a 135 certificate and got checked out by what the Czech airman in a what is considered a complex that basically um, is the equivalent of getting a complex endorsement is what I'm getting at with that last section, right? Yep. I find it well, now that you don't need, I guess that's more applicable now than before that you could go through training and not get because they don't, they don't require the complex during the commercial. There's ways around it now. So I guess that might yeah. happen more often. Yeah, I mean, like like me, I don't have a high altitude endorsement. No, but you've nope. Nope. gone, you've been typed in aircraft that are high altitude airplanes, and that's basically counting as. Yep, same for the high basically altitude. The same yeah. thing. Yep. You didn't have. I've to been. Do I've a shown that I'm satisfactory, but I have no specific endorsement for it. Yeah, you have the equivalency though. That's what they say. Yep. Maybe like Scott and I, we got to go take a, a specific lesson on high altitude operations. Yeah. yeah. Get that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, you shouldn't even be going up that high anyway. <laughs> just, okay. Well, uh, the three main things for this complex thing that makes it complex that you have to learn is flaps, which you're a unique situation if you've gone through training your primary training and not used flaps. I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but I go out on a limb and say the vast majority of people who go through initial flight training are doing it in a plane that has the flaps and you're already, it's already just part of flying. It's not really complex. Uh, the second one is retractable landing gear. 
That could be a new one for, I would say, for most people. Because most trainer airplanes do not have retractable landing gear. What are the, Lee, if, have you given a complex endorsement? Like brought someone through it? Um, You never really had a plane to train in, did you? Well, I did when I was uh, teaching somebody to fly in a 206 on amphibious floats. We were kind of doing her her single-engine seaplane and her single-engine land at the same time, and that had retractable gear, of course, to land on land. So uh, before her check ride, I signed her off for a complex endorsement. Yeah. And that was also that was high performance. That was complex as well. Okay. She, she did all the initial training in, high, in both then. Yes. Yeah. All of, her, all of her flight time was in a complex, high-performance airplane. And I got to tell you, that is a very prideful moment in my flying career. I'm watching a 16-year-old girl solo a Cessna 206 on Amphibious Floats. That's crazy. That's crazy. It was so cool. Like, I, like now, like it's like, what was I thinking? I want... That, that's one of my favorite airplanes. Oh, absolutely. Why not? It does everything. Turbo 206 on Amphibious Floats. Every single box is checked. <laughs> it was it, oh, it was it was unreal. That's awesome. Why was she learning to do this just for fun, or, or, or well, what? her dad owned the airplane, and he wanted he yeah. wanted his his girls to to learn to fly. And I had already taught the one. I had already gotten her private license. And um, she she was not involved in the in the in the two hundred six yet. We did it all in a, in a warrior, and because she was she had kind of transitioned and she was in a one fifty two, learning to fly in a one fifty two. So the the warrior was an easy transition for her. instead of really kicking the training cost out and getting her back acclimated to the two hundred six. We figured we could do that at a later date, but. Uh, so she she finished her private in a warrior. The other one, the one I'm talking about, she uh, she uh, pretty much start to finish it all hers in the 206. What is what are those run on whip lines now? Like cost wise, like a 206 turbo on oh, whip line floats. You're you're probably a million bucks. Jeez. Yeah. Really? I would think you're for probably new. Right? For new. For the, yeah. Yeah. Brand new. Yeah. Brand new. For yeah, new. You're probably, yeah. You're, I mean, you're probably at 700, 800 for the airplane and then 150, 200 for the floats, I would think. Yeah, I know. The nah, whip, I guess the, whip the floats probably aren't that cheap. much. Yeah, they're probably 80 to 100 for the I floats. I guess. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they're 100. I'm just thinking like for a twin otter or something, I think they're like 500 grand. So crazy. Someday, someday. Yeah. How do we get on this retractable landing gear? Oh yeah, retractable. Yeah, who would I taught? And that—that's you. Go ahead. I just gonna say three green is the main thing. You got to learn three green. There. Other than other than putting it down, which is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, three green. Yeah, that's 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 the big one. Uh, You know, you can have different things in each airplane will tell you, you know, uh, know your airplane and that's your instructor is going to figure that out for you and help you help you through that. You know, some are going to have two white while you have three green and under different configuration of two, two, uh, two white, three green or whatever. Like I know, like in the Lear, we can have two white and three green at once under like certain emergency. Um, if you do like an emergency extension. So, but yeah, yeah. Three green is the, is the thing. Don't forget to put it down. Anchor put the putting it down event with, you know, some other milestone event, not predicated like really on you. If that, if that can make any sense at all, you know, put it on, put it with, you know, you're on a a certain leg of the pattern if you're VFR or a certain, um, you know, like if you're IFR, you know, you're on an ILS, you know, one dot above be putting the gear down or one dot below, I guess the way you look at, you'd look at it, but anchor it with an event that will happen on every flight. Don't be willy nilly, put it down whenever you want. 
be disciplined. And that is obviously going to help you remember or not forget to put it down. Anchor it to something and then do in in a before landing checklist, which I talked about or said a little bit ago, and I maybe said it in previous episodes, a before landing checklist. Yeah, maybe the manufacturer has a pretty, you know, expansive before landing checklist that has many, many items on it. And by many, it could be five, it could be 10. I don't even know. But have another abbreviated version that's kind of like in your back pocket. Like, again, anchor that to something. So when you go flaps full, revisit your configuration. When you know, hey, I've got the runway made and I'm going flaps full or however you're going to run your, your your cockpit, when you go flaps full, again, revisit your configuration. So it's going to be flaps full. And in my mind, I'm thinking before landing checklist. That's a call out that we make. So that's why that's in my mind. But there's nothing stopping you from doing that in a light GA airplane too. When you go to your final configuration, you're saying to yourself, I'm going to land this airplane or I wouldn't have gone flaps full. So whether you're we're VFR, IFR, none of that stuff matters. This, this should be the same on every landing. When you go flaps full, you should be thinking, I'm configured to land. Do a quick check, uh, you know, flaps full, before landing checklist, what are my items? And you, you know, make it a couple items that, that, that you're thinking of. Obviously, landing gear needs to be one of them. If it's, you know, we're talking about a complex airplane, so maybe that's the prop high RPM, um, landing gear down, flaps full, whatever. But have have a few items in your back pocket that you're just going to run a real, little flow on and double check and make sure you're configured to land. But that is only to back up. You know you're going to go full flaps on every landing for the most part. And I guess I said for the most part, so that maybe can be an issue where you don't have a backstop anymore. But I have flown in some pretty incredible winds, and I know it can be easier to land partial flaps on a runway with high winds. It can also be done full flaps. So whatever, I'm not, I don't want to tell you to do something unsafe. You guys back me up or, you know, disagree if you want. <laughs> but I- Sometimes I'll, if it's windy, I won't use full flaps. I don't know. But you don't need, you don't need to not to, you don't, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, that I guess is not, it's not going to be unsafe if you use well, full flaps. Is it easier for you? Yes. Yeah. That's a crosswind component change. Your maximum uh, crosswind. Well, that's, that's, that's a, a effect of rudder authority. Well, right. But does, does the do flaps have any? effect on that it shouldn't why would it well what's your landing speed is going to be slower with full so flaps fly right? the same speed with full flaps fly the same speed with full flaps but it's not going to settle down it's not going to settle to the ground right i mean i guess because the flaps are producing more lift so yeah. you're going to stay up yeah, you're further from your stall speed because you've changed. You've lowered your stall speed. Right. I have the full. Flight yeah, you, you've you've lowered your stall speed. So, in order to set it on the ground, you're gonna have to be you're gonna be moving at a slower speed. So therefore, your rudder is less effective. Therefore, your crosswind your rudder is more effective at a slower speed. The faster you are, no, the faster you why so why go slow? Just land land the I. I because so you're that, saying that in order gonna, to touch down, yeah. if you have full flaps, you're going to be going. You can touch down at 120. You can touch the airplane down at 120. Well, I guess, yeah. Well, no, you definitely can. Well, not not the 150. Well, right, but. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I guess oh, so I, here's the I thing. Guess you could, but so, it wouldn't be very smart. Look at it this way. So 150 is a bad example, but the the point you're making. Well, I'm just flaps, looking at that because flaps. What's that? That's what I fly. So if I'm coming in, I know, but we're also talking about a retractable landing gear. Too, well, Scott. yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah. So, anyways, if what's more important, having the partial flaps so you can touch down, or uh, partial flaps so you can do a nice touchdown, or landing gear up? Well, yeah, I would say I'd probably two- lather rather land with the gear they're down. not they're not tied together though well i'm making a case that they should be well okay change my mind 
I always do the strategy I use. I the only time I've ever flown retractable landing gear is for my commercial checkout. So like the lead up, uh, that final segment, like the the last month before my commercial check ride, doing all the training specific to pass that commercial check ride. Um, I was doing retractable landing gear, and we would I had two different instructors. I was doing it in Tiffin, and then I was doing it. I finished it up here down here in South Florida at uh, Lantana, and I would always do three green on base, verify three green on base leg, verify three green on um, base, and verify three green on final approach. You mean downwind, base, on, and final? Downwind, base, final, yeah. Okay. You said, you said base twice. Oh, did I? I think. Yeah. What if you're each, in... Each, each what leg. if you're in a tailwheel retractable plane? Then you would not have three green. You'd have two green. Right? Yes, that's true. I would also so. say, though, I, I hear what you're saying. You're checking three times. I'm saying I think that's too much. It's just... Oh, I don't I get it. I don't mess around with accidentally leaving the gear up. Well, I understand, but if you do it one time with your with your final with configuration change. Now, I said anchor it to a milestone event that's going to happen every time. And I described on a visual, which you kind of just did, and I described on on an instrument approach. We didn't talk about non-precision, but from a precision approach standpoint, I did talk about that. When you're one dot below, gear's coming down. And then do it a ba- do a backup like a cleanup flow when you go to your final configuration because that's when you should be calling before your before landing checklist. You're saying you're you're configured to land the airplane. Scott said, "Well, what if your partial flaps?" Which I get, but we're talking. I, there's I, maybe there's somebody out there flying an arrow. Maybe there's somebody out there flying a Pilatus that lands partial flaps. Maybe I don't know. All I know, flying the islands in crazy winds, short runways somewhat worried about floating, I landed full flaps. I landed full flaps all every time. I get the point. I get your point, Scott. I've been with you in the airplane when it's been windy and we've done partial flaps. Does it make your life easier? Yes, but that's a 150 that weighs 1,600 pounds. And we're talking about something that weighs at least three, you know, 2,800 pounds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, and I'm not saying that that's that much different, but it's again... And it, that, that's my technique. That every, everything that I have a type rating in, you're doing. You're calling for a before landing checklist when you go to your final configuration landing. Because you're not landing partial flaps. You're always landing full flaps. So, um, and that's you know all in the regs anyways. But you're landing. You're landing full flaps. So you always have that milestone event to try, kind of trip your mind. Okay, I need to make sure that you know the gears down, the props are forward, whatever other items that that you kind of deem necessary to verify in that last little bit. I hear what you're saying. I do. Uh, I just think, you know, when we go beyond the scope of a light, a a super light GA airplane, some things have to change. We can't fly. We can't pretend we're flying a 150 when we're flying a Bonanza. We definitely can't do it when we're flying a King Air. That's, that's my point. I, your point's well received. You are correct. And, uh, you know, to keep things easy and simple, I would do that in the 150. I've been with you when you've done it. I am I agree with you when you've done it. I've done it in the 150. But. I mean, I guess it depends on what runway you're coming into, too. Like, if you think you might run out of runway, you, you could probably, I mean, you can put full flaps in and make the runway. It just makes it easier, you know. If you've got plenty of runway and it's a stiff crosswind, you don't need them, then. Don't use them. Yeah, I mean, I, I would get, I would just say, I guess, if it's so close that you can't, that you're balancing the crosswind controllability with the amount of runway you have and all these things, one, why are you out flying and why are you going to that airport into that runway? Well, I suppose. Well, you're, you know, you're thinking of your place with your airplane. I'm thinking yeah. your place with an arrow or a 182 or well, yeah. bonanza. Yeah. And then you can go one tier beyond that. You know, you're going to a 3000 foot or 3500 foot runway, roughly the same uh orientation so the wind would be similar. It's it's w- what are you doing? What's your objective? What's the, where is the safety concern? 
I would just hesitate to tell anybody to change their if they have a process in an airplane, don't go to an airplane that may make you take some shortcuts that may encroach upon your your procedures. That's how accidents happen. Anything that kind of whittles away at the safety margin by making you do something abnormal in your normal flying is kind of a, a risk. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I use the term loosely, but in aviation, I mean, that that is a risk. You're doing something that is not normal. It's an abnormal operation for you. You're asking uh, for some some trouble. Can you mitigate the risks? For sure. For sure. But my, my question is, like, why? Like, if there's a decent airport that makes you make no concessions in your standard operating procedures that's 10 miles away, why would you go to the one that makes you make concessions? Because your, your car is parked at that one. Well, I understand that. I understand that. But can't you read a weather forecast? You know the wind's not going to work for you, and it's going to make you make potentially make some eh. errors. Maybe. I just don't know why we got to tie the gear being down to the flaps. Let's look for yours. Well, because that's like 90% of all airplanes with, with flaps in a before yeah. landing checklist. Or with a le- retractable landing gear. Yeah, before landing checklist, I suppose. Probably the first one is gear down or something. Yeah. Well, when do you want? What, I mean, what, what's your, what would you say would be the alternative? Do it on downwind? Yeah, I don't know. Run it before landing? Yeah. Just, what? Yeah, Probably. Doing it sooner would be better with single yeah. pilot, for sure. Yeah. You don't have somebody reading a checklist and verify this and all that kind of stuff, which I get. But I also don't want to fly. Okay, that's a bad example. Downwind is fine. Putting it down and beam your numbers, that, I mean, that's standard. That's, that's totally fine. And running a checklist, you know, right then is totally fine. I, I'm with you. That's, I guess I don't know necessarily what the point is or like what we're talking about, but as far as backing it up, I'm not going to check three green downwind base final. Or if you're uh, if you're flying a DC-3, you might want to look for like two green, not three green. I don't want to confuse anybody. You know what I'm saying. I just, yeah, all I just those wanna, DC-3 pilots right, that are listening I just, to the foreign yeah, podcast. I just, I just don't want somebody to get, get confused and think, well, I'll, well, yeah, I mean, if they're if they're coming in and they're in a, a tailwheel retractable gear airplane and they only see two green, we don't want them to freak out because, like, that's what you're supposed to see, right? Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good point, Scott. Yeah, yeah, I just unless the tailwheel is retractable. Yeah, are there any? Ooh, do you know? Oh no, any? I no, I, I think no, I'm a DC three. There probably is. I just it oh really, no, the, for yeah, sure it might be. I don't know. Oh, okay. for sure, is it? Is it? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if a DC three has a retractable tail wheel, but I know, like, I think a P fifty one. Oh, I think okay, that's yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I couldn't answer that. I don't know. Well, I mean, a P fifty one. I'm almost positive has a retractable tail wheel. Look at, think about a, a picture in flight of a P fifty one. I don't think the tail wheel is back there dangling. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me typing? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, w- I always run the uh, before, land- well, when I'm in a plane where I'm running that checklist. Like the 150, I didn't do it, but I did it on every other airplane I flew. Uh, I, do- I would always do the before landing on like the uh, downwind. Yeah. Do it when, I mean, do it when you're kind of in a status quo type, you know, you're... Yes, it you says don't want the, to do it like on base to final. The majority of World War II era aircraft do have retractable tailwheels. I figured. High and fast. That's what this. That's what this says. Yeah. All right. Um. Let's wrap this up with a controllable pitch propeller, which is also uh, referred to as constant speed, and that Those adds are two different things. Are they? Yes. Okay. Let's start with that. <laughs> Start with that little nugget. So, I mean, constant speed, you know, that's, that's going to be like hydraulically regulated, you know, with oil pressure or whatever. And that is going to basically give you what it's called a constant speed that, that you're determining an RPM value that it's going to hold. So it's going to change the blade angle as load or forces imposed on it or engine horsepower is imposed on it. It is going to change the blade angle as required to maintain the RPM that you have set. 
constant speed propeller. There are controllable pitch propellers, which are, you know, maybe are electronically controlled. You know, this is a common retrofit to what uh, came from the factory as fixed pitch props that allow you. So you get up and cruise and you have like a rocker switch or something like that, and you can make it go to a more pitched, a higher pitch setting so it has a better cruise profile for you. It's not constant speed, but it is adjustable pitch. You're still going to control your power. You know, you're going to go flat pitch for takeoff. You get all the benefits of the of the, of the uh, constant speed. You know, that's that all, all we all we want out of the constant speed is the is the performance. We want the climb performance and we want the cruise performance all in one. You know, it's a one size fits all, and we get the whole the whole end, both ends of the spectrum. Um, where a fixed pitch, you know, you're kind of picking what you want. Or do you want climb? Do you want cruise? Or do you want, you know, kind of in the middle? And the the if it didn't come that way from the factory, there's a retrofit. I think MT uh, Mike Tango propellers. You know, they have uh, STCs. Uh, I don't know if they have. I think they have them for the Archer. I know they have them for like the Grumman Tiger and Cheetah and stuff like that because I've seen them in person. That's why it's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, so you just get up to cruise, set your power, and then set your uh, your blade angle, I think, with a rocker switch or something similar like that. And then you get your cruise profile. You got your climb profile, get up to cruise, bring it back to cruise profile. You got your cruise prop without all, like, without hydraulic lines and a prop governor and all these things. I think it's pretty sweet. Probably not cheap. But. I didn't realize this i knew there was adjustable pitch on the ground some yeah, fixed some pitch planes yeah some planes have those where you can like before you take off with the airplane not running you can go adjust it and then i knew obviously constant i just thought it was all constant speed as far as the control yeah pitch. that's what i thought I know about that other stuff nope i didn't either it's a nugget we're learning many many things on the far aim podcast today <coughs> Yeah, right there. COVID. Yep. <laughs> He's coughing as he drinks some. Yeah. <laughs> did Did you ever fully recover from your COVID? Yeah. Is your taste all weird now? Because some people say like they things taste weird. My taste never went away. No. Okay. I was always solid. Yeah. My appetite actually increased during it. I was ordering DoorDash and Uber Eats left and right. <laughs> nice. With gourmet restaurant meals every day, multiple times a day. Just gorging on it in bed. Hell yeah. Uh, which is much more enjoyable than the flu, which uh, when I get the flu. Yeah, you don't, know. you can't eat with the flu. I mean, you can, but it just, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's a fun sidetrack. Uh, constant speed propellers. Uh. With constant speed, would would it be a fair assessment, Lee, to say that constant speed propellers, propellers, are um are the most common thing that people going to, to get a complex endorsement are going to be dealing with? Yeah, I mean, because it's it's shared between land plane and seaplane, and in terms of um. You mean constant speed versus just controllable pitch in the term in terms of an electrically variable is is what you're getting at? I would say yes. yeah, constant speed will be yeah far and away. Um, you know, it, with the FADEC, which we did mention briefly, I don't know exactly how that works. I imagine that is a hydraulic, but those are one lever operation under FADEC, which is a whole other can of worms. But they're trying to simulate basically one engine uh, or one lever manipulation like a jet would have. They're trying to get, you know, remember these are marketed for flight schools and they know what people are going to learn to fly for, or they want to get a career in aviation, probably go and their jobs are going to be in jets. So they've tried to streamline that process. So they have things like auto feather and things like that with which, you know, if an engine fails in a twin, you want to feather that prop so it's not as much drag just out there windmilling, things like that. I don't know how those are actuated. I have to be honest with you. So if it's a FADEC-equipped aircraft, I don't know how what the, the process is that drives those, the, those controllable pitch props. 
I, I don't know what that is off. I, I don't know. Okay. But yes, um, to answer your question, constant speed, which is hydraulically actuated, uh, that, that would be by far the most common. And then you the, the main thing with that that you will notice is obviously the third lever or a push-pull rod. What do they call it? The Cessna has the push-pull throttles? They're just push-pull thr- throttles? Oh, veneer. Or v- veneer. Uh, but those that's the twist. What, what is that called? I don't know. Veneer, I think, is I when know. you can like they're, they're turn there. it and be really, really specific. Which I, yeah, I like those. I prefer those. The, oh, yeah. It, it'll be in addition to the throttle, and the, a lot of people are familiar with the throttle, and then the uh, mixture. And it's a. Uh, it's usually in between the throttle and the mixture, right? The uh, the pitch control, and then you're gonna have basically be using a new gauge. You'll see on your dash uh, manifold pressure, and to change the prop settings and and stuff with that. Basically, monitoring that manifold pressure gauge and your throttle gauge while you manipulate the throttle and the the pitch of the prop and what are what are the rules of thumb right or am i butchering this no you're good you're good you're good you're laughing you're yeah, laughing manifold like. pressure in the tachometer well you just said the i don't i don't even know what you said the th- the manifold pressure in the throttle gauge <laughs> i'm not sure exactly what you said <laughs> everybody oh, yeah. knows what you meant the tack manifold yeah, pressure yeah, tachometer Throt- throttle gauge yep. tack same thing <laughs> yeah yeah, and there there are some rules of thumb with with how you're going to manipulate these things, and some airplanes have more generous uh, ranges to to be aware of than others. Some engines are more temperamental. Um, it's all up to the manufacturer. I was just trying to cover the dead spot, Rob. If you want, it, go ahead. No, no, I got nothing. I, I forget how it works. I haven't flown one in so long, but I know. I was really good at it when I went through my training and then like just the time has gone through where I just, I, I forgot what the rule is. I know you want to keep one more than the other. Yes. So you always keep what the manifold pressure lower than your RPM or is it opposite? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want, you don't want, you don't want a low RPM with a high manifold pressure. Um, it's yeah. And there, and that's where the limitations are going to exist. Now you can probably get online and find somebody who now you can throw all this out the window. Cause if you start thinking about something that's supercharged, it's got super high manifold pressure with lower RPM. So riddle me that, I guess. But when you're talking about a naturally aspirated aircraft, Typically, you'll hear the term squared or over squared. So if you say when you hear 24 squared, which is a pretty common uh, cruise power setting, that's 24 inches of manifold pressure and 2,400 RPM, 24 squared. That's 24 on both. Um, That's pretty common. 23 squared, that's, you know, that's there too. Now, obviously, that would be good. That is a good rule of thumb. That is always going to be safe. Look at your manufacturer, but that is a good rule of thumb that that will be safe and will not harm your engine. Go to your manufacturer, look and see what the power charts tell you you can do. So, like, let's say you want your objective is you want 65% horsepower. That is, or, yeah, 65%. That is, you know, pretty realistic. I like to run things a little harder 75%, 80%, whatever the, the, the most that the um, <clears throat> manufacturer will let you do in the charts. And there's two ways you can do that. You can run a higher manifold pressure with a slightly, now I'm, I'm talking very slightly lower um, RPM or a higher RPM and a lower manifold pressure. Both of those two things, it's if you take one from the other, you have to give it to the other. So, if you, or you take it from one, you have to give it to the other is what I meant. Um, so it's a balancing act, you know, they'll always stay close, but there's two different ways you can look at it. And one, one will be slightly over squared and one will be under squared and look at that however you want. But there are, that's, that's the limitation. You typically, if like, let's say you don't want 25 inches of manifold pressure with 2,100 RPM, that would be a very pitched, a, a high pitched prop. Be, it would be good for cruise performance, but hard on the engine. So you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Um, that is what they say. 
Um, I'm not, you know, an engineer. But if you go look at a Malibu or something that is a high-performance turbocharged or supercharged engine with a constant speed prop, you're always going to be under-squared or over-squared, depending on which way you look at it. I'm not sure which one is the correct term. I'm sure, you know, one of them is. But you're going to have a higher manifold pressure because it's turbocharged. It's being artificially fed and um, air. Your, your intake pressure is going to be higher than na- naturally aspirated because it's turbocharged. So how does that how does that work? That was always my question, and you know you can you know I've flown airplanes that you know were very very loud. So some we've we would instantly pretty much right after takeoff at a safe uh, altitude, we'd pull the props back first. We'd leave the manifold pressure up, but we'd pull the props back just to cut down on the noise because you're lower. That's what's reducing your engine RPM. So it's weird to think about, and it's kind of kind of messes you a little bit. But you set the engine output the the engine output with the throttles and the prop RPM with the prop lever, and so you so want to look at that if you're come. Yep, go ahead. When you're lo- when you're looking at that with the gauge, you're basically using the manifold pressure gauge kind of for your throttle setting, and then your RPM gauge is then taken out. You kind of use it for um, your RPM gauge for the the prop adjustment. Is that a, yeah. a dumbing it down summary? Yeah. Yep, that's it. And so, that's how, when, like, that's how I always remembered it. Yeah, when you're climbing out, you're going to have you know high RPM prop prop you know uh, high high RPM. You get to a safe altitude, and then you know wh- whether it be 400 or 500 feet, you'll take the edge off with your with your a little bit of manifold pressure out and so you'll work you know like think about it this way like let's say you're taking off and you're leveling off in cruise or you're getting it set up for a continuous maximum continuous power in the climb light airplanes probably don't you don't you don't talk about maximum continuous power you once you get into anything high performance anything over 200 horsepower you're probably almost always thinking about maximum continuous power so you want to take the the first you know Five top five ten percent off the, the 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 engine, the workload of the engine to preserve engine life and a big chunk of fuel flow, things like that. But you're going to work on climb out when you get it when you want to get it set up for climb. You're going to work from left to right, and then on the descent, the opposite. You're going to work from right to left. Is how you want to remember to do it, and that protects. Uh, you're not going to do anything hard on the engine if you if you do it in that order. It's really that simple. Now, a long time ago. There wasn't any standardization. You could have your your prop lever all the way to the far right on the other side of the mixture, but it's pretty. You're going to be hard pressed to find that, you know, nowadays. And and for most people, it's always going to be pretty much throttle, prop, and mixture, uh, in in that order, left to right. Yeah, I hit on all the the high points I wanted to. We're trying to make this a short, and we end up. Yeah, it ends so up a full. Way. Yeah, it's full length. Yeah. I'd say. Um, trying to it needs shorten. a lot of editing, though. It does need to be edited down. That may go away. A lot of them. Uh, it's not going to be over an hour if we start wrapping up now. After the edit, Scott did. Scott kept bringing up flap stuff, which flaps are one of the three things that make a complex airplane. So I, I feel like that's relevant. I should leave that in in the edit. But yeah, is that? Do you have anything else to to add to there, Mister Boris or Mister Griffin? Mm, that's I know of. No, I guess the only thing, and you did allude to it, is just where um, under the commercial requirements, which is where most people, why most people would wonder about the complex aircraft endorsement or a compl- what makes an air- a complex airplane. That is, we lived by that when we were learning to fly, when we were getting our commercial certificates. That's what we lived by was that complex endorsement, and then it then it got shortened down to 10 hours and representative airplanes or whatever, you know, and now it's, you know, an advanced, a technically advanced trainer. And so now that's kind of a placeholder and that's much easier for them to come by. I imagine, you know, you need the autopilot and the glass panel and things like that. That's a lot easier. Most of them come like that. So it's kind of freed up flight schools to not have to have these specialized, dedicated complex airplanes for kind of no reason, for one rating, you know, really, for just to check the box on the commercial. So I think that's probably a good thing. 
Um, and I think the checklist and standard operating procedures will do away uh, with a lot of the risk involved with with uh, operating a complex airplane when when they get to that stage. You know, when they get out in the real pursuing their, their career path in aviation, SOPs and checklist usage, I think, will completely mitigate all the risks of maybe not having the true complex time that we had to deal with when we were learning to fly. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Like it was so different than the 150, which I had so much time in there. It almost like challenged me to like get in a different plane and expand my skill set a little bit, which 100%. was annoying at first. Cause I had gotten so good in the 150 and then I was jumping in arrows and then I was like, it was just so frustrating because I wasn't a master of the arrow like I had done in the 150. But I ended up, by the time I took my check card, I ended up pretty good in the arrow too. But, and then I just never flew it again. So I, I'm sure I lost all that. But, anywho, uh, five star written review time. We are behind and catching up briskly. So uh, if you haven't yelled already yet and you listen to Apple, which, Basically, half of the listenership comes through the Apple Podcast app. So I know you're out there. Five-star review. We love them. Um, we like the five-star reviews. We love the five-star reviews. This five-star review, five, five stars, F-I-F-E, just phonetic alphabet. Good for you. Good for you, sir. Yeah, it goes downhill from here. I can't stop listening for some reason. If you enjoy listening to teeth being pulled, or slamming your steering wheel while cursing pilots, <laughs> totally making a mess over simple rules. This podcast is for you. Keep it up, boys. <laughs> this is from Harry DHC2. Lee, Which is not a, lost on us. Not lost on us. We got it. We got you. <laughs> Lee, what is a what is a DHC2? That's a beaver. That's oh. a big old beaver. Really? The Havilland beaver? Yes, sir. So <laughs> Harry DHC two. Harry That's, Beaver. That's, I wasn't. I wasn't gonna say it, but yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, that's what you, the whole, what's wrong with I, that? I mean, beavers do have hair. Have you ever seen one? Yeah, <laughs> they are mammals, right? right? Yes. Last I, I mean, checked, they build dams and stuff and swim around in the water. I've seen them. That's a so, good point, Scott. So yeah. I just do want to say, and I and I I don't want to apologize too much, but I just. It's not that easy to remember all the regulations and do it on the fly. We don't do show prep. We, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I remember all of them. I just no. kind of go along with it and see. Uh, I'll talk about 135 and 121 all day long. But, you know, we have to start recalling something in part 91 or part 61 or medical stuff. I literally, I literally tell Lee... Five minutes sometime. This like this recording today. I told Lee what the topics were for two episodes. We're going to record tonight. Uh, this episode and then the, the next week's episode. We're going to record right after this. Uh, so zero notice. He's just kind of he's pulling this all from like ten years ago. And then Scott and I don't even give the the the. There's no not even a pretense that Scott and nope. I know what we're talking about. Nope. So. I just so listen to what Lee in, says. We're always in the clear. Usually I can <laughs> think of. Usually I can think of something to say. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can. No. The vast Depends. majority of the topic, Lee's the only one who really knows what he's talking right. about. Yeah. Um, Depends on how much beer I've had is how much I talk or not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can we, tell, but go ahead. I was just saying, you know, we appreciate the feedback. We appreciate the five star written review. I mean, I feel like this guy probably gets it. I feel like he is basically. I hate not, you know, knowing and not being an expert, but you can't be an expert on all this stuff. You know what I mean? But I think I feel like just knowing exactly how he laid it out, his username, giving us a five star, keep up the good works and the teeth being pulled, bang the steering wheel. That's exactly how we feel, too. And we're recording the show. He definitely. So I feel like he. Gets yeah, he it. definitely gets it. Yeah. Maybe not as much as Jimmy Z. We read the. A little while back, Jimmy Jimmy Z yeah. really got it. I forget, forget what the exact review <laughs> was, but uh, Mr. Harry Beaver he uh, he gets it too. I think. Uh, 
Anyway, Mr. Harry Beaver, thank you for the five-star written review. Um, email us as well. Uh, feedback. Keep the conversation going. We'd love to hear from you. Kind of like the reviews, the five-star reviews are kind of like one shot and done. But if like you want to, you know, talk some more excrement, we enjoy that. This is our kind of our kind of chat. You know, we're, we're very receptive to this. Uh, email is our preferred method of communication for that. Uh, email us at my email is f a r a i m at s- I almost said Scott Ford <laughs> robertberger.com b e r g e r is the German way, not the sandwich way. I'm used to giving your email out when we're uh, telling people to give yeah. us, you know, complaints. I'm the complaint. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mr. Griffin is f a r a i m at leegriffing.com g r i f f i n g, and of course, all of the hate mail goes to Scott Boris, f a r a i m at scottboris.com b o r e s, and uh, that's all we got for this one. I think next week uh, we are covering IFR stuff, fuel requirements. I think we're going to record that one as soon as we stop this one, but uh, you guys got to wait a week. So we will see you then. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if you think about it, you know, you think about all the things that we don't like about flying. One thing about going high is you don't even have to worry about thunderstorms. That's true. Oh, yeah. That is true. You know, like in the Lear, I mean, we got a service ceiling of 51,000 feet. That's crazy. I mean, we rarely have to deviate. And I mean, and when we have, it's because we're flying lower, you know, we're flying at, you know, 41 if we would have just gone to 45, we would have been over it. But we were at 41. Instead of climbing, we decided to go around it instead of climbing. But having that flexibility going that high, you're over 99% of all the weather. And the stuff that is getting up there is very isolated. It's a very isolated area, and you can see it you know, 200 miles away. And it's easy to deviate. It's not like it's a big line of storm. Yeah, it's just a that you got to pick and weave through tower. You know, you're over all the lines, and if there's an isolated like a column, you just go around it. You know, ten, fifteen miles out of your way, back on course. Sweet. If they if they get certified, it is going to be one of my life goals to get that select was it Solera five hundred L. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's something 500 that was it servicing like 60,000 some feet. Yeah, that that uh single engine they, uh diesel. If they get pusher. it, if they get it done, it's going to be on it's going to be one of those multi-million dollar toys that I'm just like, okay, how do I figure out yeah. how to get one of these? Yeah, that thing's, that would, I think sweet. That would make my life amazing yeah. to be able to get oh, back yeah. and forth from Florida to Ohio for low operating cost. You can run that is. thing they get it certified for over water. Yeah. You can run that thing over to Europe. Yeah. Yeah. If, they, if they'll certify it being single engine, I don't know. But if they'll, uh, what, I mean, it. what do they care? If we're right. going over the water, what do they care? Well, yeah. If it's a private plane, that doesn't even yeah. need to be certified. Well, I mean, if if it's private, yeah. If, it, if you're not uh, hauling passengers with it, I don't think it matters, does it? No. That's up to you to stay gliding distance from shore and all that, but there's no there's no legality for that. They used to require, like going overseas for airliners, they had to have four, uh, three or three or four engines, right? And then they lowered it to two. 
Well, yeah, I mean, now, I mean, yeah, it's a different, different deal now. Yeah. We have a lot of other stuff we need to have as yeah. far as extended, extended operations, they call it. Because that's why they used to make all the uh, four-engine jets and tri-jets and all that, right? Just because the FAA basically made them add an engine. My understanding of it. I don't know. That I mean, that makes sense. I mean, technology's come so far. You know, you go look at an A330, an Airbus A330 now, and you start looking at the amount of output per engine. You know, you're getting all this output of what used to take two engines out of one engine. Now. Yeah. You know, everything's gotten materials and efficiency and technology, and it's crazy the amount right, of thrust so- we're getting out of these. Is Whipline, is that a U.S. company or Canadian? I feel like Whip... U.S. U.S.? Okay. Yeah, they're up in Minnesota. That's I want, how many of those do you think they sell a year? Oh, who know, who knows? But I mean, when you're—I don't know what the margin is. Obviously, yeah. I have an old just, nineteen. I I think it's like a nineteen forty-six or nineteen forty-seven ad out of there. You know, it's like a newspaper ad, newspaper clipping. I got it framed. It's up in my office from Whip Air. And it's J J three on floats, <laughs> one of their old old nice. ads. It's super. It's super cool. Is it? Um, I, I hear J three. Maybe it's not with her. Oh man, foot and mouth. Edit this out. I'm an idiot. I think it's Edo, which makes sense. Whip air probably wasn't even in Edo? existence. Damn it, Edo. Good Edo. job, Lee. Good job, okay. Lee. God. Oh my God. Oh, this man. day sucks. Uh, please <laughs> stressing out uh what i'm trying to remember the name that we discussed that we we're going to use for this individual who had the j3 on straight is he what brand straight, were those straight floats, floats? edos those are edos those were edos okay yeah um what's the not zeus uh, da, 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 da. No, Neptune. Poseidon. Neptune. Oh, Neptune. Yeah, same. Yeah, same Poseidon. difference. Yeah, Neptune. Yeah, that's the Greek. Po- Neptune no. would be the Roman version po- of Poseidon. Poseidon's Greek. Poseidon's a little too manly to issue as a nickname <laughs> to this individual. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no. <laughs> Neptune rolls off the tongue pretty good. Uh, yeah. King Neptune, uh, he uh, <laughs> he had those floats on his J three. Yeah. I remember every every fall he'd be landing it on the grass next to the the runway complex just so we could then have them removed and have it on uh, wheels for the winter, right? Yep, so that yep. was a pretty sweet setup. Yeah, like if he'd act cocky at all, we just all everyone in the shop would be going by him. Yeah, I take steroids. Yeah. I think that shit breakfast, breakfast, lunch, lunch and, and dinner. dinner. <laughs> but she doesn't use glitter. If she started putting glitter on herself, I would raise some serious You'd questions. Be concerned. I don't Yeah. Yeah. My sister there's never only, put it on like, herself. Like Yeah. Well, like little kids but use it was glitter and then strippers. Yeah. No, she's not into glitter. Huh. Like I feel like glitter like goes from like Little, little kids like glitter, and then they don't like it again until they're, like, a stripper. Yeah, until they're 19 and hate their dads. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cycle of glitter. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is the life cycle of glitter, yes. Yes, yeah. I like it. Yeah. You shut the Wi-Fi off, right? So that you just plug yes. straight into the router and have all the internet? <laughs> yeah, that would go over well, too, since all my TVs operate off Wi-Fi. Oh, boy. Buy a DVD player, dude. Right. Who uses those anymore? Get them a Monopoly game. Right? They should be playing games. Get them capitalism. Get them capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching something the other day. It was like some knockoff. (laughs) It was some knockoff Monopoly they were talking about. And it was like, what'd they say? Uh, (laughs) 
Venezuelan monopoly where all the squares were were jail except for jail. <laughs> except for one. <laughs> it was funny. I don't. I can't remember what I was watching. It was the, it was jail on one corner. The opposite corner was uh, collect two hundred dollars, go, and then the rest is just jail. <laughs> I can't remember if it was Venezuela or where it was. Do you remember where it was from? North Korea or something, was, probably. Or some Venez- South American. It was Venezuela. 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 What I saw, anyway. I assume it might be the same one, same meme. <laughs> we need to make like a, a socialist monopoly where like they just take all your money. Like the government just wins every time. Like the government is one of the players, but it just wins every time. It's just, it's just the worst game ever. <laughs> right, <yep. laughs> like none of the players win, just the, the house wins. The, the, the government is the house and they win every time. He's quiet, but I can hear him. Yeah, I'll try Scott, to project your voice into the microphone. I project all that is needed to be projected. Right there was good. We were just right up on it. Maybe I'm better. not close enough, but you better. guys... What now? It's right here. My mic is like beautiful. right there. Yeah. You got to yeah. be up no, on it. I am closer than you, Lee. Trust me. No, Look at my how face. close it is to my face. I'm touching it. What's up? What's up? <laughs> What's up, Lee? What the f*** now? I'll See do this that? the whole f***ing episode, just like stupid, this. Stupid I, I can't even make eye contact with you. Stupid ass. That just sounds really good, Lee, actually. <laughs> Just because you couldn't see mine because it was below the thing doesn't mean I'm not two inches from it. I guess so. I, I guess that's true. You're still quiet. Yeah, well, whatever. I don't know. I can try to adjust a setting or something. This is my first time recording in my new office, so...